Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Zero Trust for Zero Gravity podcast, your source for all things space cybersecurity. I'm your host, Dave Perra, CEO of Spider Oak and Spider Oak Mission Systems. This week, we'll be interviewing our special guest, Jonathan Moore, who those of you may know is our chief technology officer here at Spider Oak. And Jonathan and I have worked together for a couple of years, but for those in our audience that don't know you, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I came to Spider Oak uh, because, you know, I've had a lifelong interest in the, you know, sort of civilian applications to cryptography and how we can really move forward um, high assurance security using cryptography. And, you know, when we, we started working on, you know, the technology we have now, I realized that these, this stuff we were building for our collaboration product fit really well into some of the problems I saw in aerospace when I had been working there um, at a new, spa- uh, new space company called Planet. So that sort of, you know, led me to really think about these kind of technologies we're building and deploying. So I have this, this nice combination of background of application security, cryptography, and aerospace that I think is sort of the mix that let us really get into this field. So when I joined uh, the company two years ago and you and I met for the first time, I'm not even sure if the word space really ever came up. It was just something that you had done in your background. So what kind of led you and perhaps Spider Oak back into space? I'm just curious how that journey happened. You know, as, as you know, like it was really driven by the market, right? Is that, you know, I, I mean, I had some experience um, and, you know, we had another employee who, who since moved on, who also had some experience. So we had that sort of inkling that the market might care. And we went out and asked, they really said like, yes, this is a problem we have. And I think that's, a lot of that has to do is not because space has uh, legacy problems they're desperate to solve with new technology, but because we're in a transition era where we're moving to a new commercial era of space and of scale that necessitates new solutions to the security problems that arise. Well, for those of, in our audience that don't know a lot about space, and I still count myself as, as one of those folks, could you paint just a quick picture of what is the current state of cybersecurity in space as it is before you kind of we jump to like, what would you like it to be? Yeah, well, you know, as it is today, it's a very vertically integrated model. You know, most people build and operate their own equipment, you know, and especially if we're talking about, you know, orbital, you know, satellites, if we're talking about satellites, things in orbit. Um, usually, you know, you, you maybe will pay a vendor to build the satellite on spec and you'll pay somebody to launch it, but then you'll operate it, even if you use a uh, commercial ground station provider. And those operations are all very like 1990s, where like, you know, you had a sysadmin who was responsible for a server, they'd log into the server, they'd edit config files, you know, they'd maintain it very much. Satellites, they take passes, you have the operator on the ground station, running the pass, making sure that everything goes well. And it's a very sort of like uh, well-fed and cared for pet that you take care of. But now what's about to happen is what happened in the IT world, right? So we had that sort of vertically integrated world where you had a hand operations, a small number of people, you trusted who you knew, uh, you know, who you hired. And 
Now we're moving to what's happened in IT in space where we don't, sysadmins don't log into servers anymore. They edit YAML files that orchestrate clusters and individual servers aren't, aren't pets anymore. They're just, you know, another part of the system that's run at a hole. And if a server crashes, you don't care. There's another one. And in aerospace, as we go to this new era of commercialism scale, we're seeing those same kind of operations where you have a handful of operators who operate tens or hundreds or even thousands of satellites and do so because they're managing the orchestration, not the individual running of satellites. And so the traditional way is, you know, individual satellites with individual operators who know these things intimately. And the new era is large constellations of you know, homogeneous or heterogeneous satellites, which are operated entirely via automation. Yeah, one thing I'm always struck by is it's not just vertically integrated in terms of, you know, the operating of these things. Like one sat phone can't talk to all the constellations. It talks to only that particular, you know, operator. So how important is it that satellites interoperate anyway? It just seems like the whole ecosystem is designed to be if not from a manufacturing and supply chain standpoint, vertically integrated, but at least is it important these systems be interoperable, much like terrestrial networks are? Well, you know, I think that's something that we're going to see shake out. I mean, I, I, I think eventually, likely, my suspicion is the answer is yes, but not for sort of traditional interoperability reasons. It's because, you know, so if if new space is this commercial space era, one of the things that you know private capital wants to do is not be frozen in place for a long time. You know, when you invest in a space startup, you'd like to see revenue and a return on that investment as soon as possible. And that's really going to push these new commercial space companies to really look more at integrating both operationally and uh, in in the construction of their satellite from parts from more people. And they really broaden that supply chain. And so I think if you're able to have that interoperability, it will make your operations you know, more robust, more agile, and lower overhead. So for those not familiar with how cybersecurity actually happens today, I mean, if you just Google, and I've done this, cybersecurity, it is not easy to find a primer on in 60 seconds or less, what are the key ways people actually try to protect data at rest and in motion? So for our audience, what is the way, what are the two to three ways or however many people use to protect their satellite systems? Well, I think that the, the key thing is traditional approaches to security are about putting controls around data, whether that's putting a, a encryption on the link that the data is going to traverse, you know, sort of putting a, a sort of armor around that data on the link or encrypting it at rest, putting it some armor on that, that disk. The controls are, are, are outside and very often very far outside. You know, if the protection of whether somebody can read a file is dependent on their role on a file server is dependent on their role in some active directory on another server, you know, these, the distance between the uh, data you're protecting and the control can be logically very far. And, you know, we've seen a, a reduction in that, you know, the move to zero trust networking was the move between putting the controls at the organizational perimeter 
to pulling those controls back and around the application. But that still leaves a big distance between that control at the edge of the application or sometimes implemented in it and the data as it sits there resident. Uh, so that's the same kind of thing we see in space where you know there we, we encrypt links, we encrypt data, uh, but the overall authority in the system still tends to be fairly centrally managed. Which I suppose is the opposite of what Zero Trust is going for. Well, I mean, Zero Trust is really about removing the network perimeter to be smaller, right? Or the security perimeter, the security perimeter from the organization to the application. Uh, you know, uh, as you know, what our mission here is to move that perimeter all the way to the data record, where we implement our controls entirely cryptographically, not just transient in motion, but the the all the controls that protect things at the end are implemented cryptographically at the record layer or the file layer level so that you don't have these gaps, right? If you're doing encryption to transit and I send it to a server and that server forwards it to another server, uh, you know, you could have a decrypt and re-encrypt at that point. Or when I send it to the server, it decrypts it off the network and re-encrypts it to the file system. But there are those gaps where the where data is encrypted and de-encrypted. If instead you use an end-to-end -end model, like you'd see with you know, a popular app like uh, WhatsApp or Signal would encrypt the data from one device all the way to the end with no decryptions in between. We've sort of taken that idea, but said, hey, could you actually implement more traditional controls like role-based access controls or attribute access controls with that same end-to-end -end model? And you know, we found the answer is yes. So why not just use applications like Signal or WhatsApp over satellite networks? Because the satellites are just a dumb internet anyway. So, I mean, this is an argument I hear all the time. So just let applications handle their security and you don't need to have anyone in the satellite ecosystem or supply chain participate in or need to care about cybersecurity, just like they don't seem to care today. Well, I, I don't think it's fair to say they don't care today. They're just taking a traditional approach to it, which I think isn't aligned with the adversarial environment we exist in and doesn't scale. Um, you know, I think, you know, just, just to push on that point just a little bit, which I know is not your question, is, you know, the other way to look at it is we're still using the, the security model of a bunch of private disconnected networks. And the, the, the other part of new space is we're about to connect everything together. And that, and we did that in with IT networks. We took IT software and IT networks and we connected the whole, all those networks together to form the internet. And all of a sudden we found out that you know, the assurance level of our controls was woefully inadequate and is still inadequate as we can see by the regular data breaches and ransomware attacks to prevent you know, persistent global adversaries from breaching those controls. So we're, we're at risk of doing the same thing in space as we scale up, as we interoperate, as we try to have hybrid architectures and, and broad vendors. We're about to take the same controls that were reasonable on our you know, protected small individual disconnected networks, our private networks, and globally connect them together. And I think it will be, we're all gonna find very quickly that those controls aren't adequate. And now to the why, why not use Signal, right? I mean, well, those kind of protocols, Signal and TLS, and they're all great. But what none of them tackle is how do you actually manage 
authority and keys in a dynamic environment, right? Signal's great for my personal communications because I, you know, get my family on signal and we can all use it and we know who each other are, but I don't have to worry about, you know, a new brother that I, that nobody told me about that all of a sudden needs to communicate with me, but is part of my family where in a more dynamic environment, you're having new nodes enter and leave and you need to have, be able to manage those roles and, and dynamic keying in a much more agile way. So I think, again, signal is great for small networks, but it doesn't scale because it doesn't have any solution for managing that identity overall. Another approach we could take is with the web PKI, where we have this like global scale hierarchy PKI, but that's also proven to be you know fairly insecure. And that technology doesn't even have any solution for assigning roles and has very poor solutions for uh, revocation when things become breached. So I think that's that's we've learned a lot of really good lessons from that area but it doesn't allow us to have this kind of dynamicism we need. And I think too, it doesn't segment authority very well. So some data you might want the ground station to have like about telemetry to you know, manage the pass. It needs to, to know something about what's happening on the satellite. Maybe even needs to send some control data up to the satellite uh, commands to the satellite, but it doesn't need to ever have access to the the results of any um, observations or measurements that the satellites made from their instruments, uh, their payload instruments, that is, right? So, so I think it, it also fails down besides the, the dynamicism, dynamic environment and agility, it also fails down in its ability to sort of segment data and provide just the access required. I mean, the fundamental problem we're really pushing against here in security is that our architectures we deploy today don't you know don't really implement the principle of least privilege. Any application you run in your computer is you runs with all your privileges. Why is it that your calculator only doesn't connect to the internet or read random files on your computer because it wasn't programmed that way? There's actually no control in place to stop it. You know, that's the kind of thing we need to fix. And just applying something like Signal doesn't really solve that problem. It's a great bit of technology, but it doesn't really solve the fundamental problems at play. Yeah, but what you're describing really isn't unique to space, right? I mean, this is a problem of terrestrial networks where, you know, we we get hacked all the time and no one seems to care. And again, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but we seem to think that this is just normal now on the terrestrial side. What will create a sense of urgency to not repeat these mistakes in space? Well, I, I think there's two important points there. One is that I think although there is a long you know, legacy and heritage to the way we operate on orbit, um, the truth is, is that new space is upending that table and writing new rules. So in some levels, we do have a bit of a greenfield opportunity here, and we don't have sort of metastasized solutions that are very hard to replace. So that, that's one aspect is because I think there's more willingness to solve these solutions because we don't have solutions to these problems uh, in um, space cyber. And I think the other uh, side of that is that the cost is higher. I mean, in the end, if every server in your server room gets hacked, you can go then there and replace it. And it's going to be a pain. And it's going to be expensive. And it's going to cause downtime. But you don't have to get it to orbit. And I think that's really the challenge. Like we've accepted that if you have a total compromise 
of a computing device today with the assurances that our hardware provides, you can't really completely trust that device ever again. And so what do we do when that's on orbit? I mean, are we just going to abandon the assets that in space? We might have to. How are we getting, you know, what's the timeline for you getting a new um, uh, spacecraft up there to provide the same capability? You know, at, right now it's months, you know, if not years, depending on what it is. So we really have to, you know, work a little harder to prevent those compromises because replacement is harder. Well, what kind of attacks do you think will happen? It's it's kind of, we don't want to motivate activity or change by fear, but we see everything happening on the terrestrial side and the kind of the range of attacks that happen. What do you think is going to be happening now with these growing constellations of satellites over the next few years? What are some of the biggest cyber threats that they're going to be facing and you think we'll be hearing about? Well, I mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball and this is all new, right? So I, I can't tell you what the future is going to hold but you know i i don't think it's hard to imagine that we will see you know campaigns that are intentionally designed to uh deny capabilities either by foreign adversaries or criminal organizations i mean like when's the first case of ransomware in space going to be i mean if you have a, a multi-million dollar asset floating up there and i can take it over and deny you access, you know, I've got some pretty good leverage there. Uh, but then even just, yeah, but then, then I'll, you know, also just denying capabilities, you know, I don't want you looking over my shoulder or, you know, I want, or I want to even temporarily deny a capability during some event that it's useful for me to reduce your, your information. So I, I think that's, that's certainly plausible. Um, you know, we don't, I, and I think if you look at it, that, you know, cyber is a really, from from a, the standpoint of an adversary who is trying to deny capability as part of a larger campaign, that cyber is a great way to go. Because where it's certainly we've demonstrated over the last, you know, years that you can, you know, go have a rendezvous with something in orbit. You can fire a laser or a rocket at something in orbit and destroy it. You know, it's going to be a lot quicker and easier if I can just hack everything. And the, you know, advances in software-defined radio and, you know, automate, you know, and, and telescopes and all these kinds of things have meant, magnetic telescopes are important for knowing where the satellite is and when you can talk to it, you know, really, really mean that there's a lot of stuff that's vulnerable up there and it's a really cheap way for the adversary to take a first step. And one that also for the adversary often uh, has the advantage of making attribution hard. Well, we're coming up on the end of the this episode. I just wanted to open it up to you, see if you had any final point that you wanted to make. Well, I really just, you know, to reiterate what I said before, like, you know, we're moving into a new space age, one that's about commercialization and scale. Access to space is getting cheaper by the year. Uh, cadence of launches are increasing. You know, there's going to be more and more commercial opportunity in space. And I think it's really, a, and we have this opportunity now to define the cyber and network architecture of new space. And I really think we should take advantage of that and look at the mistakes and lessons learned from terrestrial SCADA and IT networks and attempt not to repeat them on orbit. So what era of technology are we using right now in space? I'm just curious. So we're talking about 80s technology? 
Uh, well, I mean, I think there, there is new spaces out there now, right? You look at some of these new providers, and it's and and they are are using you know commodity hardware, but you know a lot of what we still use is heritage. I mean, I I'm not up to date on what traditional space is doing these days. Um, you know, my my experience in aerospace was in a new space company, but you know, I. I I, I can't speak for exactly what's being launched today, but I do know that, you know, when we launched Hubble in 1989, we launched it with core memory, which had been replaced in commercial network in the seventies or commercial or terrestrial hardware in the seventies. So at that point we were 30 years behind, you know, I, I'm not sure how far it's caught up um, since then. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Jonathan Moore, CTO of SpiderOak for joining us today. And look forward to seeing you all on the next episode of the Zero Trust for Zero Gravity podcast. Thanks.